You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you and to worship our Lord together. Uh, what a blessing it is to uh, have a chance for our kids to lead us in worship. I don't know about you, but we uh, try to have regular uh, fun time in music in our house. Sometimes I call it fun time because it's not always worship songs. Sometimes it's just fun songs. Other times it is times of worship. And I love it when our kids are leading us in the home in worship. It is a lot of fun. And so uh, what a blessing to have that today. Please be praying for our children as they are constantly struggling with the world coming against them and their beliefs. And so uh, it is a hard thing, as you remember growing up. I don't know about you. I don't want to go back to elementary school or high school or middle school. Any of those schools, time frames are just, uh, had fun, had a good time. But do you remember the bad times? Remember the hard times? Just the parts of learning and understanding how to read people and, and the things people say to you. And listen, our, our kids need our prayers. So please, let's let this morning be a reminder as we talk about families and husbands and wives to also be remembering to pray for our children and to pray for the children of this faith family. It does take a village to raise a child. And so this is our village. So thank you for praying for them. Um, as we begin talking this morning, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to uh, be prepared to continue in our series called Family Matters. The gospel changes everything. This is a truth for us no matter what. And I know, though, that as we walk into a gathering, as we come in together, I would be uh, not a very good uh, reader of the world and reader of marriages and of people and understanding of people if I did not think that as you've gathered in this room today, there are some of you in here who are struggling in your marriages. There are some of you who are struggling in ways that you haven't shared with even your closest friends. I know that uh, my wife and I have gone through our share of struggles. We've had to have our own sit-down time with someone else as not necessarily a, a referee per se, but as a guide to help us process things together. Uh, a lot of people do that off and on, and if you haven't done that and you're going through a tough time, I want to give you the freedom as a believer in Christ. Uh, we believe that the, the scriptures are replete with references to wise men and wise women on purpose, especially for marriages, I believe, for them to speak into our lives. We should not be going through it alone. But if you've been walking through some difficult times, you may think that you're the only one and you've got to put on that Instagram face. You've got to put on that, uh, that, that nothing wrong with me attitude when you walk into a group of people that you know or even just when you're walking through the grocery store in case you run into that person that you know. Uh, today is a day to put that down and to recognize it's okay to struggle. Marriage is difficult. I'm not saying it's not wonderful. I'm just saying it's, it can be difficult. And you go through seasons of that. One of my, one of the pastors that actually influenced me a lot, I was reading some sermons by some guys on this particular passage, and uh, John Piper is one of the guys I often read as I'm going through my repertoire of folks that I like to read, what they write about certain passages of Scripture. And he talked about how there was about 33 months in his marriage. And this is a guy that people look up to and think, man, his marriage must be perfect. And he says that there were about 33 months in his long-tenured marriage where he wasn't sure how they were going to make it through it. He was committed, but every word that came out of his mouth seemed to hurt, and it was a difficult season for him. And I thought, if there's a guy like that that I see that walks with the Lord, 
um, from being around him a little bit and listening to him a lot. Uh, it must be okay for us to have struggles in our marriages. And I think part of that's because of what we see here in the scriptures today. And I want you to know that as we begin this part of our series today in chapter 5, verse 25, 26, and 27. If you haven't listened to the beginning of this, verse 25, or even go further back into verses 21 through 24 a couple weeks ago, you need to go back and listen to that and get the context. But I want you to hear some truth about this, that men, this is about us loving our wives, but ultimately it's about Jesus loving his bride, the church. And so what we're going to talk about today has both of those facets, and I'm going to talk a lot more about Jesus loving the church because that's what this part is about. Look at it with me, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. It says, husbands, love your wives. That's the command. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, all that passage, the first command is to us, husbands, but everything else is really about Jesus and the church. Look at it one more time. Make sure you see it in that context. Husbands, love your wives. You say, okay. Now he tells you how. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's why. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Well, why why did he do that? Why did he want to sanctify her? Here's why. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Well, why would he want to do that? Here's the final why. So that... She might be holy and without blemish. Let me sum it up in this way. I want you to hear today that while we're talking about husbands, wives, and marriage, and family, that we're ultimately talking about Jesus and his love for his bride, the church. And so when you see this with me today, when we work through it today, here's kind of an overarching statement of a way we can say it, I believe. We can say Jesus loved us in this way, that he died for us and gave himself up for us, Because he wants the absolute best for us, his bride, the church. He wants the absolute best for us. And we kick at the goads, per se, if you know some Old Testament lingo. We like to to run against the grain. But I'm here to tell you that today, if you've been running against the grain, if you've been running from what God is working in you, I'm here to tell you today, the only way to really enjoy this life in the way you're meant to enjoy it and to recognize that this is not the end all be all that there is a greater time coming for us even the only way to walk in that in the fullest is to recognize that jesus gave himself up for you and up for me as the church and that to walk in his way is the way that will bring the most joy because that's why he died for us was to give us the best which means to make us into the best us in our splendor and glorious selves when the time comes for him to take us home and present us to himself as his trophy wife in all the good ways. So let us unpack this so we might understand it a little bit better. 
I think it deserves that. There's some phrases in here that might catch you off guard, like washing in the water of the word. There's lots of ideas of what that could lead us to. There's lots of ideas of what it means to be holy, to be sanctified. So let's unpack this together to understand. And guys, I want you to kind of listen into this in a different way. I'm going to kind of pepper in some pieces for us to see how this applies to us. I mean, after all, the command is, husbands, love your wives like this, he says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So let's see how that works out for us. Let me pray one more time for us before we get going. Father, I am a man who is not perfect or even good at this, of loving my wife like you have loved the church. But today we pray to you that you would renew our hope in your ability to guide us and change us and shape us and to help us to love our wives as husbands the way you have loved us. And Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts not only to love our wives better, but that all of us would fall more in love with your son Jesus, that he loved us when we are yet unlovable, that he loved us even in our sin, and he loved us when we were enemies, warts and all. Father, you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to overcome all the things standing between you and us, and he did that on the cross by taking our sin for us. So thank you for sending us Jesus. I pray today that his name would be lifted high and that our hearts would be turned back to you for your glory and our joy. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's unpack it. Verse 25, rolling right into 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that or so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So he did this so that he might sanctify her. Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us so that he might sanctify us. In other words, that he might set us apart. That he might set us apart to be different than we were before. That means there was something about us that was not the way it should be. There was something about our direction, about our intentions, about our character, about our our lives, about who we are as people that was not right. And he has set us apart to be different than we were. To sanctify means to set apart for a different purpose. In this context, especially, to set apart for a holy, righteous, good purpose, or for a person even who is God. And so let us unpack this. He has set us apart for himself so that we might be his and his alone. This means a couple of things for us. This means that whomever you're giving yourself to, ultimately, they are not the one to whom you're supposed to give yourself in that way. Only to the Lord do you give yourself fully without recompense, without any consideration of what he might say or do. You give yourself to your spouse to mirror this, but God is still our ultimate one that we give ourselves to because he died to set us apart to himself. Think of it in the marriage confines. This is really to point us to the relationship between Jesus and his church. So think about it this way. He has come and set us apart. He died for us to set us apart to be his and his alone. That's like saying that if you're married, that your spouse came to die for you so that you might be only his or hers. That's a huge statement. That means we cannot give ourselves over to things that distract us from our relationship with Jesus. Anything that pulls us away from Jesus must be excised or at least reoriented. 
That means we have a lot of things in our minds and our hearts that draw us away from him. What do you spend your time doing? What do you spend your heart doting on? What do you give yourself over to that if it were taken away tomorrow would, would leave you insane because of its loss? Thinking all was lost. Those are things that might be in the way of your walking with Jesus in this way. Being set apart for himself. Fully his. Just the illustration I've given multiple times. I'm sure you've heard it before, but it is a great illustration. When there comes a time, and there will come a time in your relationship with your Heavenly Father, when he is calling you to something, and you'll want to not let go of what you have, but you have to to go that way. It reminds me of my own children. When I have held them, and they wanted to hold on to something else they want, but they can't hold on to me at the same time and go where I'm going. And they have to make a decision. Which thing do they want more, that thing or their father? And there will come a time where you will need to make that decision, and maybe it's today. Is there something that you're holding on to, your pride, your career, something that you are holding on to in a way that he's telling you, no, 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 let go, let me lead you. Stop holding on to your comfort, whatever it might be. He has set us apart for his will, for his prerogative, you see, he died for us, and that changes things. He is our head. That's what it's pointing to here, that he is, we are the bride here in this scenario, all of us as the church. And it says in verses 22 through 24, we are to submit to him. So if he is our head, when he calls, we go. We submit to him as his bride. Galatians 2.20 reminds us of this by saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It means you and I no longer live for ourselves. We are set apart for him. We are set apart for him in fullness, in every way. It means we don't make big decisions that aren't clearly marked in Scripture without consulting him. Lord, what would you have us do? We received this bounty. What would you want us to do with it? You've given me this family. How should I lead this family? The scriptures teach us, lead us, and the Holy Spirit guide us. We don't use our own selves to determine those things. We are his, set apart for his work. And look at that. It doesn't stop there. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He has cleansed us, brothers and sisters. A lot of commentators go to the idea of baptism here. I don't believe that's what's uh, being stated, and I'm not alone in that. There's a lot of theologians that agree here. I don't think it's talking about baptism, although that could be an illusion. I think here when he says that he's, he's done this, he died for us, loved us this way, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. One illustration might be what was going on in that part of the world in the Greek and Jewish societies when someone was getting married, the bride would go to a bridal bath. They would have literally a, a bath, not a shower like we do, okay, but a bath where they would clean themselves getting ready for that day in such a way that was particular and was very thorough to make sure there was not one imperfection, not one thing that was not clean and perfect. And we see this alluded to in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 16. I'm not going to go and read it right now, but if you go back and read the first few verses of that, you'll see this type of how God's going to adorn his bride and how he cleanses her. And here we see that really importantly, the words here are that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the, what? Word. With the word. 
is having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He has set us apart by cleansing us. Titus 3, verses 4 on. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Same language used here. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's talking about the regeneration and renewal that takes place. That he's already done it. It's talking in the past tense. Having cleansed us with the washing of water with the word. This idea is that it's happened already. So this idea of sanctification is not what we normally think of, where it's ongoing, but that, that we have been sanctified, set apart. It has been accomplished. It's been done. The way it's written in the Greek points to a definitive having already taken place. So when Jesus died on the cross in our place, he declared it so, and it is. You, when you have been regenerated, when you become a believer, when you put your hope and faith in Jesus and you're born again, immediately you're sanctified in the sense that you are set apart for him and him alone. You are called out to a new thing for him and his glory alone. And things are different at that point. And he has done so through the preaching of the gospel to you. We know that because, listen to this in 1 Peter 1, 22 and on. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Listen, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. How are you born again? Through the living and abiding word of God. Listen, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. That means it's through the gospel that you were brought to faith and that he washed you in the water of the word talking about the good news about Jesus. That at some point you heard, if you're in this faith family, if you're a part of the body of Christ, if you're one for whom he died so that he might cleanse you, he cleansed you by dying on the cross in your place. And he has regenerated you because you heard the gospel and you responded to that gospel and repentance and faith, a gift from the Lord, and now he has brought you into the faith and he adopted you into his family through the blood of Jesus that washed away your sins, making you clean. The gospel set us free. It continues to cleanse us even daily. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus. So once we were condemned in our sin, but now there's no condemnation because of what Jesus has done for us. And as that word penetrates your heart, maybe even now for the first time, that means that you too, if you repent and believe in Jesus, can be a part of this faith family today. We're going to celebrate how God has cleansed us by washing us clean, by his blood spilled out for us, by the word of God poured over us, bringing us to faith, by taking the elements of communion later. We're going to celebrate that. Because we never get over and never get beyond the gospel here. It is everything that drives us. And it changes everything. It makes everything different. His word continues the work of cleansing us as it washes over us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is everything for us.
And we resolve to know nothing among one another except Jesus Christ and him crucified for anything we have or do or will become. That is who we are as his namesake, Christians, that defines us. We don't pick our way. He's defined it for us. Listen, husbands, love your wives and give yourself up for her like Jesus so that she might be set apart for God. You hear that? This changes everything in our marriages. You love your wife not for what you get from her. You love your wife and give yourself up for her, not for what you think she needs from you that day in order to love you well. But you love your wife and give yourself up for her so that she might be set apart for God. And wash her in the water of the word regularly. Oh, brothers, how we all need to repent here. How much more often could we wash our brides in the water of the word? This is talking about Jesus in the church, but it is an allusion also to marriage and how we are to lead our wives. It says, like Jesus, we are to do this. And this partly is how to cleanse her in the washing of the water of the word. Speak the truth of the gospel. Converse about the good news of Jesus. Let it drive everything you do. If your utmost loving her is not so that she might be set apart for God, then we are failing our wives, husbands. Let us not fail our wives. I I was going to title this sermon, The Sacred Duty of Sanctification. I think it's better to call it The Sacred Duty of Delight. Sacred Duty of Delight. We are to delight in her. And that sacred duty is for the glory of my bride which points to the glory of my Savior. So let us set her apart for the glory of God to work in her for God's sake and her good. Look at the second part here. We see that first part, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I don't know about you, but I'm only in my mid-40s, and I see lots of wrinkles that don't go away no matter what you do. Amen? A few of y'all? The spots don't go away. My kids say, you've got lots of freckles. When they'll find one of themselves, and they're like, I'm like, I've got one of those. And they'll say, you've got a lot of those. You've got a lot of spots, Daddy. And it's true. We've got worse spots than that, don't we? What about the spots you've tried to wash off that keep coming back into your mind and heart? The things that if people knew, you think they might abandon you because of what you've done and what you've caused on your own heart and on the hearts of others. The wrinkles and the spots that you can't get away from you. The ones that you can't get off of you that make you feel dirty, that make you feel unworthy. And I'm here to tell you, individually and corporately, one day, Jesus is coming back and he is sanctifying us. He is washing us and he's made us clean in his eyes by declaring us righteous even when we're not. But one day in all of the splendor and glory and the radiance of God himself, he will make us pure. He will make us pure. And as far as God is concerned, our sins, those spots, those wrinkles, those horrid things are already separated from us as far as the east is from the west because of the blood of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And that is good enough. That is enough. 
And so when those spots and those wrinkles present themselves again, when you catch them in the mirror of your eye or your mind, remind yourself, run to Jesus and say, no, 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 he paid for that. He's washed it away. It is gone. Because to hold into that and to believe that you are unworthy, while it might be true, because we are always unworthy of his love and adoration and especially his life and death, we are always also worthy at the same time because he declared us worthy by stepping out of eternity for us. He has brought us salvation, not because we are beautiful, but because we were horrible and we needed saving. Because he wanted to love us. So that for his glory, he set his heart upon us. Not for what he gets out of us, but because he wanted to shine his glory on us and give us his love when we are yet unlovable. So when you feel those things, run to the cross. Cast that on the feet of Jesus, because he's already paid the price for those spots and wrinkles. Do not carry those burdens any longer. He carried them for us all on the cross. That is the gospel. He took our sins. He took our hurts. He took our hang-ups, our bad habits. He took all those things, and he bore them on the cross in our place under the full wrath of God for them. So don't think you have to carry them to endure the wrath that you deserve. Jesus took that from you. Let your husband, your groom, take that away forever. And one day when he comes back, he will wipe it clear in a way that we will shine in splendor humbly before the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and give yourself up so that she might be set apart for God and wash her in the water of the word regularly. And also love your wives like Jesus by giving yourself up for her to be made glorious. This is not for you to be made glorious. You are to be like Jesus, and we are to humble ourselves even to the point of death, death on a cross, so that our wife may be lifted up and made glorious in our own eyes and in the eyes of all the world, especially our Father. Love your wives. Make her glorious. For the glory of our brides, brothers. For the glory of our Savior, brothers and sisters. Let us give ourselves up so that she might be glorious. See, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is chivalry in its utmost. This is what it looks like on all those old movies we used to love to watch that would drive our hearts when the knight gives himself up for the fair maiden. And this is the way we are to do daily for our wives because all those point to how Jesus gave himself up for us on the cross. This is not only our duty, it is our delight to do so as we walk with the Lord. Thirdly, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. We've been talking about it. We've been saying it. I want you to recognize That God sent Jesus who came and loved and died for us so that we might be made holy and perfect like him. It was his plan from the very beginning. If you go all the way back over to Ephesians chapter 1, you see this plan in verses 3 and 4. The first two verses are not just the greetings, okay? He says this in 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, let him be blessed. Let him be praised for these things he's about to say 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Listen, why did he do that? So that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's why. Before the foundation of the world, this was his purpose for us, that we would be holy and blameless. And so therefore, Jesus came to accomplish that by giving himself up and dying on the cross in our place so that we would be holy and blameless. Yet we go back to the slop. We go back to the things that drag the work and name of Jesus through the mire. Oh, let it not be so, brothers. Let our hearts be mended to him today in such a way that we lay those down for good this morning that we would not endeavor to walk in those sins any longer, that we would not live in the shadows with any part of our lives. We'd stand in the radiance of God, confessing our sins before him and one another, that he might receive the glory and we might be changed by the powerful working of Jesus. It was his plan from the very beginning to make us holy, righteous, good, and perfect to reflect his holiness. And he knew that we would be like we are. He's not surprised when we fail what we would do. He knew those things, but he came for us anyway. And he loves you exactly as you are right now. He gave his life for you knowing you would be where you are exactly like you are right now, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Too much. Colossians 1. Paul states it this way in verses 21 on. And you talking about the church, talking to the church, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled us. That means made us right with God. He has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. What he's saying is this. Jesus' work on the cross was enough. You don't have to earn it before, in the middle, or after. Jesus paid it all. And you'll know that you were his because you'll continue in the faith. That does not mean you'll be perfect. It means that when you fall, you'll turn your eyes back again to Jesus. And he'll lift you up. And he'll draw you to himself. And you will turn to him again and again and again and again. This is the way of being redeemed by Jesus. It is the sanctification process that he walks you through as he makes you holy. This kind of sacrificial, substitutionary love changes you, and it changes everything that you're involved in. If you're really His, it changes your marriage. Let me just say this. There is no such thing as a gospel who does not, that does not change you in every facet over time. So if you think, I'm talking as a brother who lived this life for many years, if you think that because you prayed some prayer and walked down an aisle and that now you're good with God, but there's been no change in your life besides that particular change that day of walking down the aisle when you didn't plan on it, then brothers and sisters, you might be telling yourself the biggest lie that might lead you to hell. Because that is not the way of Jesus. Jesus is too powerful to leave you the way you were. He loves you too much 
to leave you the way you were. He desires to make you holy and blameless. He desires to change you, to reflect Him. This is the way that Jesus does things. And so if you are not being changed, if you can look over your life and say, in the last five years, three years, 20 years, you don't look more like Jesus, something is wrong. It might be that you are not His. And I weep for those I call brothers and sisters who might not end up with us in eternity. Let it not be on our account. Let it be that they have to jump over our bodies to get to hell. Because we love them too much to let them go. That loved one, that family member, that friend who says they're a Christian yet lives like they don't know Jesus, do not let them continue without having to step over you. Let us go to them and beg them because we love them. Loving is not ignoring Peace doesn't come through the absence of conflict. It comes where there is justice. And there is justice either on judgment day when those who are not true believers are consigned to hell, when he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Or justice comes when they repent and turn to Jesus and Jesus' blood was enough to cover their sins and they are justified in his work on the cross. And that is the only way. That is the only way. So let us not... Let us not stop ourselves from loving that much. Let us go that extra mile as Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us, brothers and sisters. Please, oh Lord, give us the strength we need for that. Or give us the words to say that will pierce hearts for your powerful spirit can do it, but we cannot. But let us speak the truth in love. Jesus loved his bride and gave himself up for her in order to make her perfect and without blemish. He didn't sit back and ridicule her for her blemishes. He didn't sit back and ridicule her because she hadn't made it far enough yet. He didn't look across the way at her and say, Ah, if you'd have just thought the right way, if you just do the right things. He looked at us with tenderness and grace and humility. And he stepped out for us, the greatest step anyone has ever made for another, and became one of us, humbled himself to become one of us, to then serve us even to the point of death. He didn't look at her from afar, you or me, and ponder and wonder about how revolting we are. He came to make us more glorious and to save us. May we live like this husbands for our wives making her holy and glorious. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure my wife can find a lot of faults in me. She doesn't point them out often. She can find a lot. I see a lot. Husbands, when you look at your wives, look at her the way Jesus looks at the church. Look at her the way Jesus looked at the church before she was even his, before he washed her, before he redeemed her. And if you look at your wife like that, and you do everything in the same way he did to give himself up for her, it will change everything about your marriage. It might even change your grandkids and your great-grandkids and generations to come. This is the legacy we should leave for our families, brothers. But ultimately, it's to point everybody to Jesus. The sacred duty of delight in our marriage with the great groom whose name is Jesus 
should drive us to love him the way he's first loved us and to love others the way he loves them for the glory of his bride and for the glory of our Savior. It is our calling, it is our duty, and it should become our joy. I'm going to ask the Lord to help us in that right now. Father, we need your good kindness in these moments to bring us the joy that only you can bring us as we lean into becoming more and more like your son. So help us because we cannot, but you can. We need you to do the work for we are unable. So Father, we ask for your grace and your goodness and your kindness to work in us in a way that changes us and shapes us to look more like Jesus, that makes us holy without blemish. Not so that we would look down upon others in a way that is condescending, but that we might have eyes to see the way Jesus sees. Help us particularly, Father, as men to love our wives by seeing them the way that Jesus saw us before our conversion and even after. Let us see and love our wives and give ourselves up for our wives the way that brings her through sanctifying holy change because we lift her up to be splendid and glorious in your eyes, that we die to self to wash her in the water of the word, your gospel of your son Jesus. And Lord, help us as the church to become the faith family that we all need, that we all need as we encourage one another in the gospel and as we wash one another in the regenerative regenerative power of the gospel in the life-changing, sanctifying, powerful word, your word given to us about Jesus that you might receive all the glory, we might be changed. And I pray this morning, Father, if there is anyone in this place that does not yet know you, that is not yet yours, we know that you have set your eyes on them if they are hearing this message, that you are beckoning them to repent. And so, Lord, we know that as you are at work, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would fall heavy upon their hearts, that you would anoint them with your baptism of regeneration through the gospel we have heard today the good news about Jesus, that they would turn and repent, turn away from their sins, life without you, and turn to you to find joy and hope and life everlasting. Lord, let no one leave this place who has not yet turned to you in repentance and belief. Please, Father, and then empower them to tell one of us that we might pray over them and lead them in your way, the way of righteousness, the way of Jesus. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.